throughout the public phase of Jesus' life and ministry, people kept wondering, who is this man? To some, he was the son of Joseph the carpenter, but clearly he was more than that. Some recognized him as a, a rabbi, teacher, and yet he had no formal training. They, they marveled that he spoke with so much more spiritual authority than even the scribes and the Pharisees. Those that witnessed miracles were amazed. He had power over demons and nature. To some, he was a healer. To some, he was a revolutionary come to overthrow the government. Some confused him with his cousin, John the Baptist. To some, he was a threat, a threat to the status quo, a threat to the institution. And to some, he was the Savior. They, they kept asking, who is this man? Who is this man that even the demons obey him? Who is this man that can calm the wind and the waves? Who is this man who speaks with such authority? Who is this man that defies the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Who, who is this man that welcomes sinners and outcasts and treats them like friends? Questions. Who is this man? And of course, those didn't end with Jesus' death and resurrection. In the days, the years, the centuries, the millennia that have followed, we still keep asking, who is this man? Was he just a prophet? Was he just a great teacher? Are the miraculous stories of his birth and life really true? Or, or is it just a fairy tale that somebody made up? Was he just an extraordinarily good man? Or was he something more? Was he really, as we believe in the church, God incarnate, God in flesh? Was he really the Savior? Is he really the Savior of the world? Do you ever wonder? Do you ever ask the question, who is this man? Who is this Jesus? We know that disciples had wrestled with this question. In fact, just a few days before today's scripture reading, Jesus had brought the question up. He said, who do people say that I am? And after a little conversation about the rumors, he turned the question to them. Who do you say that I am? And as usual, Simon was the one to speak up. He said, we know who you are. You are the Christ, the one sent from God. Now, I don't know what Peter fully thought, Simon Peter, what, what he fully thought when he said, you are the Christ. We assume the other disciples agreed with him. We don't, we don't know what he had in his mind when he said those words. But I'm guessing he had no idea that when he said Jesus was the Christ, something like the transfiguration would happen just days later. If you read the Gospels, you'll see over and over that Jesus frequently left the crowds to spend time alone with God. Sometimes he would just slip away from everyone and spend time just he and God. Sometimes he would take the disciples, all 12, with him. 
And then apparently there were times that he only took his closest inner circle, Simon Peter, James, and John, which is what happened this day. He invited them to join him on a, on a hike up the mountain to have a little time alone, just the four of them with God. But then something unexpected, something extraordinary, something they had never seen before happened According to Mark chapter 9, beginning with verse 2, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and brought them to the top of a very high mountain where they were alone. He was transformed, or other versions say transfigured, in front of them. His clothes were amazingly bright, brighter than if they had been bleached white. The story of the transfiguration occurs in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Matthew adds in 17.2, his face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. Luke 9.29 adds, his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. I want you to try to imagine this for a moment. Imagine seeing this. Someone you know, a person, a human, all of a sudden, They are light. Their clothes are shining like light. Their skin, their face is bright like a light. Imagine if it was your spouse or your child or your coworker, all of a sudden transfigured into light. Now, we say metaphorically that Jesus is the light of the world. But this story isn't presented to us like a metaphor. Now, I've never seen someone shine like light. I suspect you haven't either. I suspect Peter, James, and John hadn't either. We say sometimes someone has a sunny disposition and things like that, but again, that's just metaphor. The way the story's presented, human flesh, clothing, was transformed, transfigured into light. And that's all the more extraordinary when you think about the clothes they were wearing probably weren't white. They didn't wash their clothes very much. They slept on the ground. Jesus had dark olive skin. All of a sudden, bright, blinding, white, light. Simon, James, John, they never expected anything like this. Now let's be honest. A story like this, to accept it literally, might be a little hard to accept. Even for a a modern day, full-fledged, devout believer, it might be easy to dismiss the story as just a story. Just having theological, spiritual meaning. Do we really believe Jesus became light? Well, I wasn't there to validate the story. I I can't verify that it actually happened. We we do have three eyewitnesses who've passed the story along. That, That might hold up in court, but it might not be enough if you're a bit of a skeptic. So I will say this. I do believe the gospel writers, I do believe Peter, James, and John passed on the story 
because they want us to believe in the transfiguration not in a metaphorical sense, but in a literal sense. They want us to believe this actually happened, that Jesus was actually transfigured into light. The story loses its meaning if we just treat it as uh, a story. They believe this event, this actual literal event, revealed something we need to know about who Jesus is. The biblical scholar Peter N. says, it's always a bad move to invent a Jesus who agrees with us rather than challenges us. Perhaps this story of Jesus being transformed in light is meant to challenge us. It certainly must have challenged Peter and James's John perception of who Jesus was and who Jesus is. The disciples pass this story on because they're striving to convince us that this man, Jesus the Christ, is God, God in human flesh. Sometimes in church we say the Nicene Creed, and it says, we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. The Gospel of John does not include the transfiguration story, but it begins with the words, the true light that shines and on all people was coming into the world. The light was in the world, and the world came into being through the light, but the world didn't recognize the light. The Catholic Archbishop Fulton Sheen once said, it took restraint to hide the divinity that was in Jesus. I love that phrase. It took restraint to hide the divinity that was in Jesus. In other words, of course he was transformed into light. He had to work at not showing it all the time. That this man, Jesus, was light from light, true God from true God. He presented himself among humans as a human, and he was fully human. But for this very rare, unique moment, he allowed them to see the fullness of his being, both his humanity and his divinity, both his flesh and his divine light. We're told about this story, this transfiguration, because it reveals who this Jesus truly is. But as they say on the TV commercials, wait, there's more. As Jesus is, is glowing, as his, as his clothing is shining, all of a sudden there are two more people standing there with him, Moses and Elijah. You remember the story of Moses, of course, who delivered the Israelites from slavery, and then who went up on the mountain to receive those stone tablets with the Ten Commandments, Moses represents the Jewish law. And Elijah, the greatest of all the prophets. Now, from Scripture, but also from Jewish tradition, it was commonly believed that neither Moses nor Elijah had died. 
but have been taken into heaven before death. And now here they are standing with Jesus, Jesus transfigured, having a conversation. Most of the stories of the transfiguration don't tell us what they said, but Matthew 5, 17 lets us know, Jesus said, don't even think that I've come to do away with the law and the prophets. I haven't come to do away with them, but to fulfill them. Here Jesus, revealed for who he truly is, is talking to the lawgiver and to the prophet. Those who represent the work that God had done before Jesus' birth and ministry. Luke tells us that the conversation the three of them were having was what was to take place in Jerusalem, meaning Jesus' death. So this event, this transfiguration, first affirms Jesus' claim to be one with the Father, but it also fulfills his claim that he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. But as I said, wait, there's still more. As they're watching Jesus illuminated, as he's talking to Moses and Elijah, all of a sudden a cloud overshadows them, it says in Mark 9, 7. A cloud overshadowed them, and a voice spoke from the cloud, this is my son whom I dearly love. Listen to him. This is my son whom I dearly love. Listen to him. A voice from heaven, the voice of God, affirming who Jesus is, but also an instruction. Not an instruction for Jesus, certainly not an instruction for Moses or Elijah, an instruction to the disciples and to us. Listen to him. In the days to come, Jesus would fix his eyes on Jerusalem. Increasingly, Jesus would talk about his death on the cross. It would become increasingly important that the disciples believed in who Jesus was and listened to what Jesus said must happen. Now, I want, I want you to try to imagine this story as best you can. If you want, close your eyes. Try, try to imagine being there way up on the mountain. Try to imagine being one of the disciples. Imagine the shock of seeing Jesus transfigured. Imagine the shock of seeing your heroes, Moses and Elijah, appear. Imagine hearing the voice of God. Imagine the terror. Imagine the excitement. Try to see it. What, what would you have been thinking? What, what would you have done? What would you have felt? What would have been your reaction? It's hard to know, isn't it? None of us have ever been in a situation quite like that. Well, like I said before, of course, it was Simon Peter who spoke up. Mark 9.5 says, Peter reacted to all of this by saying to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good that we're here. Let's make three shrines, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. In other words, this is great, you know, seeing you shining like light, this is great. Hearing the voice of God, this is, this is great. Moses and Elijah, good to see you. you know, maybe we should just stay. Maybe we could just build shrines, temples for you up here. We'll just stay up here on the mountain 
Forget all those people down there that need to be healed and, and are full of demons. I forget the other disciples. Let's just stay here. You ever heard of a mountaintop experience? Have you ever heard somebody say they've had a, a mountaintop experience? Maybe on a spiritual retreat or at a Christian camp or on a mission trip? I've had a few. I'm thankful to say you, maybe you have too. I think of my experience on the walk to Emmaus. I, I think of retreats I've had with, with youth and college students, mission trips with this church to Mexico and others with, to Guatemala. I think of times I've spent in, in monasteries or on vacations or, or out in nature or even a trip to the Holy Land. I think of times I've had with people I dearly love, times when God felt more close more real, times when I've been closer to people, closer to myself, times when my soul has filled fuller than it normally is, times I've felt especially loved, mountaintop experiences. I wonder what you would consider the mountaintop experiences in your life. And isn't there always that that natural human impulse, that tendency, that desire to hold on to that mountaintop experience as long as possible. I mean, when it's so good, who wants to leave? So we take one more group photo. We hug everybody a little tighter one more time. We, we drag our feet getting back on the bus. We stretch that moment as long as we can. I mean, who really wants to get back to life as it is normally. How soon do we really want the honeymoon to be over? So Peter said, let's just stay here. Let's just stay on the mountain. Jesus, you can keep glowing. Moses and Elijah, you don't have to leave. God, you can keep talking. We'll build some shrines. It'll be great. Who could blame him? It was well-intentioned. And by the way, there's no condemnation from anyone that Simon Peter said the wrong thing. But suddenly, even as he's speaking, it seems, the cloud lifts, the voice ends, Moses and Elijah disappear, and there's Jesus, not shining, not glowing, looking quite normal, and already he's heading down the mountain without explanation. The transfiguration of Jesus was just a, a brief moment. It was, just a, it was just a quick glimpse behind the curtain. We have no reason to believe it happened before or after. Jesus didn't make a habit of, of just turning on the lights for everyone. It's not something he did around the campfire. It's not something he did at dinner. Just this one moment to reveal to his inner circle his true nature. That as Christ, he was God. Simon Peter wasn't, wasn't wrong for wanting to stay up on the mountain. It's not a bad thing to want a mountaintop experience. Sometimes we need those to, to motivate us to keep going. But Jesus didn't come to live on a mountaintop. 
It wasn't Jesus' plan to stay away from the crowds up on the mountain. Jesus didn't come to be enshrined in a temple or to live on some faraway mountain as a wise man or to sit even on a throne. That wasn't why he came. That wasn't his destiny. To fulfill his destiny, he'd have to leave the Mount of Transfiguration. To complete the work that he came to do, he had to climb back down the mountain, back down into the dark valley of human need. And it was in the deepest part of the valley, and I'm speaking metaphorically, that he would begin the slow ascent to another mount called Calvary. Friends, the same is true for us. Mountaintop experiences are wonderful. They're a blessing when they come. But you and I weren't made for mountaintop experiences. Jesus' mission and our mission isn't at the top of the mountain where we build shrines. The mission is back down at the base of the mountain where the people are, where the needs are, where the work is. In fact, I'd argue if if you want to go looking for Jesus, probably the the last place you'll find him is on top of a mountain somewhere because God's nature is always to descend wherever there's need, wherever there's people hurting, wherever there's lonely people. That's where you're most likely to find Jesus. Mother Teresa once said that Jesus is usually hidden in the distressing disguise of the poor and the suffering. In fact, I think it's probably more likely you'll find Jesus with dirty hands and dirty clothes than dazzling white. Perhaps it's only in the darkest places that the light of Christ can actually be seen. If you want to find Jesus... You have to follow Jesus wherever he leads you. And it may sometime be up a mountain to, be, to see what he wants to reveal to you. But I promise it will also be back down off the mountain. Maybe even through the darkest of valleys. Our call is to go where Jesus leads us, wherever that might be. To love the ones that Jesus loves, whomever they might be. Bishop Michael Curry writes, No, we can't always have a chorus of angel in our ear, but there is good news. There is a simple way to connect to the divine anytime you feel like it. If God is love and love is action, you've only got to get out there and do it. And so, Today, in our story, this is our story, the story of Jesus, we pause to pull back the curtain to to see the fullness of Jesus' being, both human and divine, both flesh and light. In a a sense, the transfigure of Jesus is is like a glimpse of Easter that's coming, of, of who Jesus will be when he conquers death. But it's just a glimpse. Before we can come to Easter, before we can fully understand, before we can fully comprehend 
the mystery of Easter, we must also journey with Jesus down the mountain, through the valley, and up the steps of Calvary to the cross. On Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, we begin that journey. Join us.